Welcome to Bit of Play, your occasional show about video game whatever. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. We're doing a two-part special on the history of Final Fantasy. Is it that final? Is it really a fantasy? The music's pretty cool. We're actually going to have a whole bunch of selection of the music, one from each game. As we go along, we'll have a bit of tunes as we go through each of these facts. But let's just get right into it. So Final Fantasy 1. Final Fantasy 1 is one of those games that... Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's it really it's it's hard to talk about when you're talking about retro games. It's really easy to sort of kind of talk just about how oh look how important this game was and influential to games. It's really important to talk about Final Fan- the import like the importance of Final Fantasy One. It's not up there with like Doom and Mario levels, but specifically just in terms of JRPGs, other than Dragon Quest, it is like the single most influential thing. The the interesting thing is. It- Final Fantasy has a much bigger impact on the perception of a JRPG uh, genre in North America. And while Dragon Quest is, I mean, we, I think we can agree that Dragon Quest was the series um, that really introduced it and kind of made some of the original tropes, um, Final Fantasy is the one that was a kind of able to capture the American audience and also... In, in some ways, this define their perception of it. Right. I think it also, Final Fantasy is very much responsible for defining our current delineation between Western and Eastern RPGs. Yeah. I think a lot of what Eastern RPGs, tropes and traditions and mechanics are drawn from various Final Fantasies. Whereas Western RPGs kind of define themselves by being a lot of things, but the primary thing is not Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. The... One thing that also Final Fantasy kind of end up creating in, in inevitably is um, what is this kind of um, separation of uh, mechanics. So we know from the from this game, we know what makes uh, we know what a time ba- active battle system is. I mean, from the series, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of all originates from this first Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy game. One which came out in December 17th, 1987 in Japan, and three years later in the U.S. Uh, so Hironobu Sakaguchi, who was at Squaresoft, had intended to make a role, uh, role-playing game for a long time, but Square didn't want to give him the permission uh, because they expected for low sales from it. Then Dragon Quest happened, and they realized, oh, let's get that guy who wanted an RP- to make an RPG to make an RPG for us. Yeah, this is way back when Squaresoft was not that big a company. They were known for games like Rad Racer and King's Knight, and, or rather not Rad Racer, 3D World Runner. And yes. King's Knight. So bad racing games and bad shooters. Japan was kind of do. Japan was doing a lot of what it was famous for at the time, which was more mimicry than it was innovation. And um, Square SquareSoft had this is before they merged of Enix. Um, SquareSoft had a track record of making not so great games that were based on other games yeah. that had come out elsewhere. But so Final Fantasy was really one of their first chances to make something. I mean, it was still going to be kind of a ripoff of Dragon Quest, but it was their chance to make something that was unique, and it had a vision behind it. Right. Uh, Sakaguchi was inspired by Ultima and Wizardry, and his uh, one of his partners who worked in the game, Akitoshi Kawazu, who designed the gameplay systems, was very much inspired by D&D. Uh, the, ga- the title was changed to Final Fantasy for reasons that everybody knows at this point because they thought it would be the company's final project before bankruptcy and Sakaguchi would have to be forced to go back to university. So, I mean, very literally, it was their Final Fantasy. If this didn't go well, the entire company would be in the, in the dirt. 
uh, Sakuji managed to c- uh, convince fellow game designers Koichi Ishii and Akitoshi Kawazu to join the project. And uh, Kawazu was mainly responsible for the battle se- uh, system and the, the sequences, which he based heavily on Dungeons & Dragons and Wizardry. Um, for example... Um, Games had not had weaknesses to the elements before. You did not get um, stuff like you could fire an ice. Um, f- fire beats ice. Yeah. Ice beats lightning. Whatever, whatever. That that was not a thing. That was taken out of dra- uh, Dungeons and Dragons kind of wholesale. Exactly. And in fact, a lot of the game's monsters are taken out of Dungeons and Dragons wholesale. More like copied and pasted. Yeah, like the Maro, uh, the uh, Araman, I think, is just a beholder. It's just yeah. straight up a beholder. Warmech is Warmech. Yeah. They, again, Squaresoft had a history of mimicry for a long time, more so than they had innovation. But this was a good first step. So they also suggested illustrator um, Yoshitaka Amano as the character designer, who is now absolutely seminal to the... He is he is in, he's sort of inseparable from the Final Fantasy story at this point. Uh, yeah. But Sakaguchi declined because he never heard his name before. And a week later, when he was looking through some magazines, he uh, saw some art and said, I want this guy. And it turned out to be Amano. Yep. It, um, so he they, he got hired to the project, and he worked on. He was one of the main character designers for a lot of the games going forward, and still does art for pretty much every Final Fantasy game in some capacity. Uh, the games were programmed by Iranian American programmer Nasir Gabelli, who um, was very famous for being a hyper fast, hyper hyper competent Apple II programmer, and infamous for leaving a ton of bugs in his games. Well, that was why he was so fast, was because he barely he barely looked through his stuff and wrote code like a jet stream, but also like he, there was no revision of his stuff, and no. it was so esoteric the way he wrote sometimes that it was just hard to go through and right. pick he, out those he, errors. Debuggers really couldn't do very much on him. The other problem was that he was trying to understand the game, but Sakaguchi told him not to worry about it and just design what we tell you to do. Yeah, which is, uh, which is a rough way to get a game together. It's a poor concept and is responsible for some of Final Fantasy's incredible glitches. Just amazing glitches. Ah, uh, but... Um... Among the other developers on the project was um, Kazuku, Kazuko Shibuya and uh, programmers um, Kiyoshi Yoshi and Ken Narita, as well as the debugger Hiroyuki Ito, who becomes important later. Yeah. Um, um, Saki, uh, Sakaguchi took a in-development ROM of the game to the Japanese magazine Family Computer, who would not review it, but, Famicom, but um, Famitsu, a uh, more popular video game magazine now, not at the time, gave the game extensive coverage, uh, which probably helped it. it. It actually is kind of a strategy in their mimicry, ripped right out of Dragon Quest Handbook, who advertised the game heavily with Shonen Jump. Yes. Um, at the time, the, uh, I mean, NX eventually grew to have its own manga arm, and it wasn't all that surprising for manga and games to have a very strong uh, link back then. Um, the uh, Only 200,000 copies were going to be shipped, but Sakaguchi pleaded with Squaresoft to help uh, to double that amount so that they'd help spawn a uh, sequel, and management agreed. Um, following the uh, successful North American localization of uh, Dragon Quest, Nintendo of America also translated Final Fantasy in English and published it in North America in 1990. Um, the North American version of Final Fantasy was modest success, um, but that was largely due to Nintendo having extremely excre- aggressive marketing tactics. And they had that for a reason. RPGs, like, between Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, 
RPGs owned Japan for most of the, for for the late '80s and early '90s, and they really wanted to capitalize on the fact that the Nintendo at the time had all of the RPGs. Yeah, they had Dragon Quest, which Japanese school children were skipping school to buy. They had Final Fantasy, which was capturing a slightly older audience in addition to the Dragon Quest audience. They were they, they, Nintendo wanted to make sure that these games were under their wing uh, when they came to America and. Um, in true Nintendo fashion, uh, they set up the ball so Sony could kick it out of the park. <laughs> yep. It's the one thing that's also kind of interesting is that uh, Nintendo's head at the time um, was what, uh, considered RPGs to be the uh, games that the long haired emo kids in Shibuya like to play in the dark. Exactly. He was not a fan Thanks of to Hiroshi Yamauchi. <laughs> yeah, he was great at, again, setting things up for other companies to kind of succeed at later. Um, and we'll see that when Final Fantasy eventually transitions to the PlayStation, but that's we're not going to be getting that in this episode. Um, the game was not even marketed or released in the PAL region until uh, Final Fantasy Origins in 2003, which is coincidentally the best way to play this game. Yes. The Game Boy Advance version of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 Origins. It gets rid of most of the game's game-breaking glitches, such as its um, very poorly thought-out spell charge system which had you, instead of each spell costing MP, each spell would cost a certain level of charge, which made spells worthless, uh, in addition to the fact that spell was not calculated off of your intelligence stat for some reason, and certain characters just didn't work. Yep. It it was a fascinating collection of bugs that, in hindsight, make it surprising that the game ever had any kind of success, but... Listen, that... it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> the fact that Black Belt does ungodly damage once he hits, like, level 10 is a feature. The fact that Thief can't do anything is a feature. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, that game was so tough and kind of incomprehensible at times that... I mean, it was nowhere near as Final Fantasy 2 levels, which we'll get to in a second, but... You needed that stuff to, yeah. to help you get through the, the game. Um, there's, if you ever want to have some fun with it, look up solo playthroughs of Final Fantasy games where they only go through with one character instead of the instead of four. Um, I was I recently read through a thief run where the guy cheated to get his thief up to level twenty nine. The, the cap is uh, fifty, I believe, and still could not beat the second <laughs> boss of the game with a thief on its own because it just just the math che- doesn't check out. It is so bugged that it doesn't work. <sighs> oh, the um. Just before we jump to Final Fantasy two, yeah. Here are kind of some names you should probably follow as we 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 mention them, and we'll, we'll highlight them, but they're important. Uh, Sakaguchi, who is the man in charge of Final Fantasy for the future of this episode. Um, Akitoshi Kawazu, who is the man in charge of Final Fantasy two and the design of Final Fantasy one. Um, Tanaka, who was a programmer on Final Fan- on Final Fantasy one, and kind of becomes important with Final Fantasy three, and Koichi Ishii who becomes important later on and with the uh, Secret of Mana games. Yeah. So, and these guys, again, as we get through the series, they'll, as we go through this episode, they'll start to become more and more important, but we actually start to see in in the second half, we'll start to get we'll, to... We'll, we'll start talking about the rise and fall. Yeah, exactly, right? So, the song that you're, we're going to pull off this one is originally called The Crystal Themes and was in the first two games. By, by four, it was known as The Prelude.
Um, it's and is it is generally the theme. It's fi- it's the th- theme song of Final Fantasy. You'll probably yeah. you probably have heard it at some point. Yes. All right, moving on to Final Fantasy II. So Final Fantasy II was actually released almost exactly a year after um, the uh, the first game came out on December seventeenth, nineteen eighty eight, and it was originally only released in Japan. Yeah, we did not get this until um, that same Game Boy Advance port in two thousand three. There were nobody really had an idea for Final Fantasy II of what they were going to do, um, and so it was taken a new direction and included none of nothing involved from the previous game other than the general art style. The, the well, because they basically had such a short lead time, they needed to make this game quickly and capitalize on the original Final Fantasy. They didn't have any Final Fantasy original. The didn't really have a plot, and it was kind of difficult to carry that stuff over without any plan, which they had none. So they just jumped in with the fantasy. Yeah, next one. Random fantasy thing. Uh, Sakaguchi, uh, though he served as the main planner for Final Fantasy One became a director for this one because the team got bigger. Bigger from five people to, I believe, uh, 14. But still. Um, the But what they did was they came up with, like you said, fantasy narrative and then built a game around it, which is never a good plan. No, no. Um, the uh, experience system was designed to be a more realistic advancement than that the first game, but um, it did not quite work out that way. <laughs> How it works is that instead of having the ga- the traditional experience point system that most RPGs run with, it gives you advancements in each ability based on how much you use it. So a character who uses a sword a lot will get better at sorting things. A character who uses magic a lot will get better at magicking things. The problem with this is that through regular play, it's impossible to perfectly focus one guy down one narrow path so what you really have to do to be at all good in this game is sit in a fight with a useless enemy and beat up your own characters because that's the most efficient way to get to to level up it it didn't really take into account what you were attacking that uh experience system is an akitoshi kawazu trademark uh, as he was the lead designer on this game and kind of shows up in any game he touches with his dirty dirty hands Oh, Kawazu. Um, so, Nobuo Uematsu uh, composed the music as he had for the first game, and Yoshitaka Amano returned as the concept artist. Midway through development of this game, Gubelli was forced to return to Sacramento, California from Japan due to an expired work visa, and the rest of the development team actually followed him to Sacramento um, with the necessary materials and equipment and finished production of the game there. Which is amazing! They literally just picked up all of their computers, flew across the Pacific. That is a Squaresoft Flush with cash. Oh, The totally. kind of money nece- necessary to do that in, was that 1990, 1988? Yes, 1998. Like, that is incredible. It's, no, it was, they were so desperate to get this game out, and they were, but, and Final Fantasy had made them so much that they were in a position where they could basically say, we will do anything to get this game finished. And Even- they did not want to change the structure. They made sure the same people were working on this game, just more. Yeah, yeah. That, I think this is also the only Final Fantasy that has had significant development outside of Japan. Uh, yes. At yeah. least until, like, I think... No, not even Final Fantasy XIII. Yeah. yeah. That's the only, it's the only mainline Final Fantasy game that is was at some, in some way developed in the States. Yeah, even if it was because... Even it, if it was a bunch of Japanese people <laughs> relocated for a bit. Though that uh, their trip to California is the genesis of Sakaguchi's love affair with Hawaii. Yes. And later, uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. So... We'll get to that later. <laughs> we will. We yeah, promise. we definitely, definitely will. Um, the- following the success of the original game, uh, 
Square, Square, um, Square's North American subsidiary began working on an English localization of Final Fantasy II to be called Final Fantasy II Dark Shadows over Palakia. Um, assigned to a project was uh, Kawaru uh, Mor- Moriyama, whose later work included the script translations for Final Fantasy IV and Secret of Mana. And they produced a beta version. They you can put- actually uh, find it online. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is Frank Cifaldi at the Lost Levels has preserved the original ROM of the English version of Final Fantasy II, and oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the original... The problem was basically the Super, the Super Nintendo was coming out. They The SNES was almost... Almost out, and they basically had to cancel work to to on the Final Fantasy II localization in favor of uh, getting uh, Final Fantasy IV, which was nineteen ninety. Yes, when these games were coming out in America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to consider they had finished this game before the first game. They had finished Final Fantasy II before Final Fantasy One was even localized in North America mm-hmm. or was out in lo- North America. Um, so, so they canceled Final Fantasy 2 for yeah. America and decided instead to ma- turn Final Fantasy 4 into America's Final Fantasy 2. Yeah. Um, and it was really... when So the Final Fantasy uh, 2 ROM is so far from complete. It is, it is laughable mm-hmm. at times. It is very clearly, though, uh, translated by the same people as Final Fantasy 4. It mm-hmm. has the same kind of weird 50s slang. Like, they were definitely using the same dictionary. It's, um, Moriyama had this to say, um, we had so limited mem- memory capacity we could use for each game, and it was never really translating, but chopping up the information and cramming them back in. Additionally, our boss had no understanding in putting in the extra work for the English version at that time. Um, so they were having, they were having trouble with, basically, one of the key differences between Japanese text and English text that was that you can convey a lot with three Japanese characters, and you need a and lot nothing more for yeah. an, in an English. Yeah, you, that's one word. So they need to. They needed a lot more. They need to mess with the programming and need to be able to kind of mess with how the text boxes work fundamentally. Yeah, the uh, um, f- game was finally released in English as part of Final Fantasy Origins for the Game Boy Advance with a new translation from Akira Kashiwagi, but no real tweaks to the gameplay, which still makes the game unplayable, <laughs> unfun, and sort of horrible. Yeah. Thanks, Kawazu. <laughs> if uh, the Origins 4 of a Game Boy um, is the best version of that game... With some really big air quotes around it. Yeah. It's it, still not fun. If you are looking for the best version of a rotten sandwich, this is the best version of that sandwich. <laughs> it's a rotten sandwich painted gold. Exactly. Um, the music we're going to play is Castle Pandemonium, which is from the Final Fantasy Origin soundtrack. Um, this is where you face the final boss, which is actually in the capital of hell. So uh, That's pretty metal, That is if nothing else.
Um, moving on to Final Fantasy III, which came out in April 27th, 1990, which again, like... Final These games are pumping out uh, fast. Final Fantasy One had still yet to come out <laughs> in the United States. This is July was Final Fantasy One. Um, they, they are pumping, but these games are one year apart. Each of yeah. these, well, sorry, one was eighty seven, two was eighty eight. This is nineteen ninety. Yeah, the, there are barely years between these games. They at this point they were basically kind of switching up and working simultaneously on projects. There was there's been no other way to to get this through. Sakaguchi um, was in charge of both three and four at the same time, and two he wasn't nearly as in charge on because he was already planning three. Exactly. They turned SquareSoft. Until around Final Fantasy VIII, when they had so much money they could do whatever they wanted, was a Final Fantasy factory. Yeah. They they needed to get those games out fast, because that was the only thing that was propelling their business at the time. <laughs> um, so the key people involved in this, as we mentioned, was Sakaguchi, but really the key person is Hiromichi Tanaka, yes. who was the uh, designer and... Um, this is where we start kind of seeing who made what Final Fantasy game and what their influences are and why that's important. Why Kawazu is so weird and crazy is because he is super inspired by D&D, yes. hyper-complicated tabletop RPGs that can they, that ask the player to be tracking tons of stats and do math with random dice rolls, which the NES just could not handle. No. Whereas uh, Hiromichi Tanaka, as we're going to find, really loves the job system, really loves yeah. Final Fantasy 1's inter-character play and what you can do with the idea that these characters are blank slates. This is actually what what is kind of the highlight of Final Fantasy 3, is that they brought in the character classes and brought in this exchangeable... This, yes, uh, every character, you start with four Onion Knights, who yeah. can then be made from... Each time you get a crystal, you unlock some more jobs you can change them into. So the standard fighter, black mage, white mage, but also new classes like Dragoon or um, Ranger and stuff like that. There were some... Every time you change your class, you're not necessarily stuck with that class, but you do retain the abilities you've taken from that class. Yeah. So you do have to make your choices carefully. So uh, the director and story writer was Sakaguchi, but uh, again, um, the designer, the character designer was Yoshitaka Amano, the scenario writer was Kenji Terada, and the music composer, again, was Nobuo Uematsu, and... Um, the, the Gabelli actually managed to return to Final Fantasy III, but well, this would be the last original Final Fantasy Before game. Before he uh, disappeared to the mountains of Sacramento. Yes. Um, and it was actually a fairly impressive game for the time at one, 500, at a whopping 512 kilobytes. It was the largest ever released for the Famicom or um, the Fam... Well, it never came out in the, the NES. Um, the... Um, it was... There was... Ne- the game was never released out of Japan because Sony uh, Square was focused on developing for the uh, the Super Nintendo by this time, and the way he put it was: nowadays, when you, when you've got a platform like PlayStation, you'll have PlayStation Two and then PlayStation Three, and where you've got Xbox, you move on to Xbox 360. You can sort of assume what's going to happen in the future. Back then, that was the first time that we'd seen a new generation of consoles, and it was really difficult to predict what happened. And that and was Hiromichi, Hiromichi Takata, uh, Tanaka, Tanaka who was the, the uh, who's the gameplay designer, and that is. That is really fascinating because it shows that Square Enix was so unsure about even the Super Nintendo that they were playing the field. They were releasing Final Fantasy 3 and Final Fantasy 4 so close together, and they're such different games because of it. Yeah. Final Fantasy 3 very much takes from Final Fantasy 1 with a l- very light on story and plot, very heavy on gameplay design and kind of player choice in what their gameplay design is about. Mm-hmm. Um, Final Fantasy 3 is sort of a fixed version of Final Fantasy 1 in that way. 
Um, it was not released out of Japan, as we mentioned, until a Nintendo DS remake in 2006, which is probably your best bet for playing the game at this point. It's a significantly different version of a game in the sense that they, they try to add a plot and the gameplay has been a little shifted. It is still, it has the basic framework of that original Final Fantasy III game, but it, it's different enough that... You might want to try and look up the original. just Yeah, to see find some fan translations of the original ROM. The differences are notable, yeah. at the very least. And that um, that remake is actually also available on iOS and Android at this point for yeah. uh, Square Enix's absorbent iOS and Android fees. But, I mean, the, those Android versions, of, those Androids and iOS versions, unfortunately, are so uh, problematic in that they usually end up broken in some way or they're mm-hmm. hard to control. So maybe just go with the DS. Let's stick with the DS. The DS for, um, so we're going to go with, for the song, for this one, we're going to go with Final Fantasy uh, III's main theme on the DS, which was Eternal Wind. Um, it's this kind of fun techno-y song. Yeah. Yeah. July 19th, 1991 in Japan, and November 23rd, 1991 in the U.S. So, so the actually... dates are lining up now. Yeah. But again, 1991, and that ca- and Final Fantasy III came out in 1990. <laughs> yeah. No. This... <laughs> and by the way, Final Fantasy IV in America is coming out a year after Final Fantasy I in, in, in America as well. Yeah. That is an incredible jump. Oh, no. The people in the, in the United States, they weren't... They caught the original one, which was a rush job made by a guy who managed to scramble together a team all the way to 
Square has established itself. It's figured out a pattern that it's going to go back to, and it's... With experienced developers and a terrible translation. (sighs) Ah, that that game is so much fun. But it's... It is remarkable for the for the people in the United States who had to see that that contrast. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, the key guy for this one is Takashi Tokida, yes. who is the assistant director and scenario writer. And again, he's the assistant director because Sakaguchi was working both three and four at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he had to he was sort of in charge of four when Sakaguchi was out of the offices on the other four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do do um so originally this was going to be two two games they were going to do one for the the NES and another for um Super Nintendo and that was going to be Final Fantasy 4 and 5 respectively but um th- that that idea was canned real fast and basically they didn't have enough time they didn't have enough money so they dropped the, the Nintendo game um they just fo- they kind of focused on uh, they took what they could from the Nintendo game and made a Super Nintendo game out of it. Um, the development team was only about 14 people, and it was completed in about a year, roughly the same time period that... Final uh, Fantasy III was in development. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was desi- lead designer Takashi Tokida's first time, first time full-time project, rather, as a Square Enix employee. Uh, before this, he wanted to be a theater actor, but uh, that working on Final Fantasy IV made him decide to be a great creator of video games. Uh, Tokida's really fun because he is now in charge of Final Fantasy development at Square Enix. Yes. Their mo- or rather, their mobile development, and that is why uh, every mobile game is a Final Fantasy IV sequel or prequel. No. Because it is his baby. He will not stop touching that game. I think what it is is that it's not necessarily that he's so in love with that game. is that he's really afraid of touching other people's games. There's oh. this thing in Japan that you kind of own your own art. And he doesn't really want to make a Final Fantasy 1, 2, or 3 game because he doesn't really want to pervert Sakaguchi's vision, as it were. Whereas he made Final Fantasy 4 so he can do what he wants with it. 5 and 6 are outside of his scope. He can only remake them, not sequel or prequel them. That would that would make sense, and also kind of explains why a lot of the one a lot of the versions of those games that have made it to Android and iOS are actually like they're either direct copies of versions that have made it to other platforms, or they and they haven't really even had their interface changed all that much for, right. to he, match with he the does, iOS. He game. wants to do as little work as possible on these other games, not necessarily out of laziness, but because they're not his. Yeah, um, it's it's a really interesting scenario like that, but uh, that explains uh, why we see Final Fantasy IV: The Afterbirth. Um, <laughs> good one. So the here's a couple of things that Sakaguchi managed to get in. Um, he basically wrote the story. Um, and Which is that he watched Star Wars the night before. <laughs> oh my God! That that this game is so close to the entire plot of Star Wars that it feels. Almost like he took the script and just copied and pasted anything, it. Anything that is in Star Wars that is not in Final Fantasy IV is in Final Fantasy VI. Exactly. The, and the other thing he contributed was the name of the Baron's Royal Air Force, which is the Red Wings. So way to go, uh, Sakaguchi. You, you have a good head on your shoulders. But the real change here is the active time battle system. That is absolutely amazing. And it was developed by this debugger from earlier. Hiroyuki Ito, Ito. who uh, goes on also to be important in his own right, but he was inspired while watching a Formula One race and seeing racers pass each other at different speeds. That gave him the idea of giving different speed values for individual characters and also visualizing that speed value. Characters had had speed before in RPGs, but it was always this sort of abstract thing that you weren't really paying attention to. You just knew, oh, Kai 4 is faster than Guy 2, but you couldn't really watch your enemies move like that. So having your own, having individual visualizations of speed really kind of made the game feel a lot more dynamic. And because everything was moving at the same time, you need to complete your actions efficiently. And if you didn't do that, you were vul- you were making yourself vulnerable. Um, it's it's a, it's a fascinating system that has stuck kind of stuck with Final Fantasy games for a very long time. Um, 
it's the system was eventually developed by Kazuhi, Kazuhiko um, Aokoi, Aoki, Aoki, uh, Hiroyuki Ito, and Akihiko Matsui. Yes. Um, so, the, and of them, again, only Ito really becomes important. The rest of them have kind of gone into Square Senior right as heaven and just sort of stamped their name on games. Yeah. Um, as the game's lead designer, Tokita wrote a lot of the scenario and contributed the pixel art. Uh, and so, and Tokita, again, he'll be important later. Tokita has this real flair for the dramatic and stories in RPGs that kind of comes out. Uh, he feels that Final Fantasy is the first game in the series to really pick up on drama and the first JRPG to feature such, quote, deep characters and plot. They're not really deep, and the plot's really not that in- intricate, but... It is the first time they tried to do those things. Right. It is... And, and as we said Final Fantasy 1, it really can't be overstated how important Final Fantasy 4 is in that same sense. It's not the first RPG with a story by any means, but it's the first time this kind of simple D&D campaign mechanics were applied to this sort of world-spanning epic story. Yes. It was... Um, it, it, and again, Final Fantasy 4 sort of informs where Final Fantasy goes from here on, uh, other than Final Fantasy 5, which is sort of a weird uh, aberration. For all intents and purposes. The the thing with Final Fantasy, yeah, and a lot of the time is that all JRPGs from this point have taken that lead in terms of we need to have... We, these, are a conve- we are a method of conveyance for a story. Exactly. These mechanics are only there to push this story along. The mechanics are not necessarily the focus. And that's kind of the situation that we've, we've been stuck with in the most recent Final Fantasy games. Um but I mean, the the one thing that was interesting about how this game came together was also that uh, they needed to uh, reduce the script to one fourth of its original length. That's how focused he was on, on trying to make, on make the drama this story. Yeah, again, and this story seems to be they. From what I can tell, from just looking at this, they were not related. The story team and the development team were not in the same room. Like they weren't talking to each other, as far as I can tell. Like mm-hmm. he was, they were doing their cool gameplay stuff, and then. Ito was just writing story and designing characters. Yeah, yeah. It's and because of that, the <laughs> it kind of the story kind of feels weirdly disjointed. Um, but uh, they did have to reduce. I think he said only unnecessary dialogue was cut rather than story. Which elements. sort of you miss a lot of the explanation of how anything is happening at all ever. Yeah. So the English localization of this game um, retains the storyline, graphics, and sound of the original, but the developers significantly reduced the difficulty for um, for the games and got rid of a lot of religious le- references. This was par for the course for a lot of Japanese games at the time. Right. Um, you got to consider like holy has to become pearl. Yeah. Or pearl. <laughs> But the real special thing about our version of Final Fantasy is that it was localized by somebody with a dictionary that only went up to the 50s, uh, which is why we have such amazing lines as, you spoony bard, and uh, I mean, this is Final Fantasy 1's Garland, I will knock you all down, but we have stuff like that in Final Fantasy 4 too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does not make any sense, but it's a beautiful mistake. The A lot of those that stuff actually made the game iconic, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are things that have stuck with those early games. That when For you better think, and worse. Yeah. When you think back to them, you think about those dumb mistakes. Yeah, the uh, best versions you can... There's a lot of remakes of Final Fantasy IV, as we said, because Tokita runs their mobile and handheld division. Um, but he, you can play Final Fantasy IV on Game Boy Advance, the uh, Tose port, which is spectacular. It's got a fixed translation. It has just a lot of nice gameplay tweaks. It has some glitches, but only the good ones. They give you extra turns. And it's got a lot of bonus content, uh, which makes it really special. The DS version is also okay if you can handle uh, it looking like a PlayStation 1 game. It's... Um, and what what did they do with the the sequels? It was Final. There's Fantasy. Final Fantasy: The After Years, okay. wherein you play as um, everybody, but also Cecil's kid, Theodore, not Theodore, Theodore. 
uh, as well as um, there's some sort of Final Fantasy IV prequel, which is only available on, I don't, cell phones in Japan and the PSP uh, port of Final Fantasy IV After Years and this thing. Okay. That I don't remember the name of. Uh, After Years and that prequel thing are not very good. They're really, really bad. <laughs> Anyway, the song we're going to play for this one is the boss the boss battle theme, which is probably the raddest theme in Final Fantasy yeah. history. Like Um, came out in 1992 in Japan, so we have a little bit of a reprieve. I mean, that's still a year later, but it's such a different game, um, and it feels like it was worked on by a different team. Uh, it, the key guys are, again, Sakaguchi, because he's just in charge of Final Fantasy everything at this point, and uh, Hiroyuki Ito, who you might remember from um, the, uh, was, was he, sorry, the uh, designing the ATB. And so the, now he was, he went from lowly debugger to being in charge of this game. Exactly, yeah, it's kind of... It, you could really actually go... It was a time where you could actually ascend through the ranks. Um, but the, the the game was once again directed by Sakuchi. Um, and he believed for a long time that this was his favorite Final Fantasy game. Um, up until 9, which w- was kind of uh, a, a harken back. But... Um, now, by this point, Amano was taking on additional responsibilities in terms of putting the game together. Um, he did the character, image, title logo, and um, was a series illustrator and the designer. And uh, though all the actual character sprites were put together by uh, Kazuku uh, Shibuya, Shibuya, who, again, was working on these games a little bit earlier, the monsters were designed by our perennial favorite, uh, Tetsuya Nomura. That's when he shows up. He doesn't actually do much on this game, but he does. He has a job, and that's important. The, uh, there, and one second, we'll mention the next guy, and then we'll kind of get into these two. The uh, scenario was written as a collaborative effort between Sakaguchi and a man named Yoshinori Kitase. Now, Kitase and Nomura... They are not the key Final Fantasy people yet. They will be showing up across this in the next game. But when we get to Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, and Spirits Within, they are maybe responsible for both Final Fantasy's amazing meteoric rise to the most important game of the generation, while also being responsible for its incredible crash. It is a fascinating thing that those two did, and it's kind of interesting how humble the origins of these people were. In that, like Nomura was an intern, and Kitase was just a writer. Yeah, yeah, and but somehow they now they basically were put in charge of these this series. Yeah, uh, yeah. but for now, uh, Kitase is simply adding some jokes to Sakaguchi's script, and it shows Final Fantasy V is probably the most lighthearted and humorous Final Fantasy game. Yeah, and it, I mean, it is a it's a, it's a serious story in any Final Fantasy st- story is serious. 
or can be taken seriously. But it's uh, yeah, it had it had those, that humor in there. Yeah. The um the job system was also invi- was invented by Hiroki Ito. Well, it was return. It was brought back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um he he uh, he worked on the game as a battle planner alongside and Akihiko Matsui. Um, that that job system, by the way, is an incredible refinement of the Final Fantasy three job system. Oh yeah, and it makes it for probably my favorite of the standard Final Fantasy games. It is just this really really intricate detailed system that really lets you just kind of do whatever you want and break it over your knee if you feel like it it's and it really allowed you that the the, the flexibility to make you think that you were inventing your own characters right and it, it it shows it's a really personalized little rpg which is really fun and you don't you don't get that a lot especially with the way it doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest yeah yeah um and in total so we let's let's think about these teams so last couple games they had about 14 people 14 people on four yeah so this one had 45 and used 16 megabytes of space again um we three was it was amazing for having 512 kilobytes. Mm-hmm. We're now at the realm of megabytes, and that was used to accommodate sprites, animations, and the incredibly detailed background. According to GamePro, in a May 1933 issues, um, 1993, 1933 GamePro is mostly just about uh, shooting darts and ha- and hiding your speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the Japanese authorities had asked Square not to release the game during a school day because school children would skip class to wait in line for the game. That was- was a common thing with RPGs back then. Yeah, but it also speaks to Square's rise by this point that within Japan that they've, they've that got... was that was the uh, Dragon that happened to Dragon Quest three. So now F- Final Fantasy is at the level of Dragon Quest, which is sort of like Japan's Harry Potter. Exactly. Like the, these were the two rival series, and they're finally like going blow to blow with each other when the government has to step in and say, "Hey, look, guys, like, could you please put this on a Saturday yeah. for everyone's for, everyone? for all, everyone's sake for the children? Mm-hmm. Just think of the kids." It's- uh, the official English translation began shortly after the release of the Japanese version, um, timely, but uh, it was going to be called Final Fantasy III, but the project fell through. Uh, there were actually four attempts to localize this game over the course of the SNES's lifespan, including one where they called it Final Fantasy Extreme, because they figured this could be the hard alternative to Final Fantasy. It was also the 90s, so if uh, they wanted this to really uh, go against the X-Men crowd... This is the Final Fantasy that rides a skateboard and slams a go-gurt. Exactly. It's the Final Fantasy with lots of lines and bolts on it. Hey, Rob Liefeld. (laughs) How you doing? It's the Final Fantasy that wanted cable. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, X Men. Anyway, so it's one of the few. It's one of the. It turned out basically in frustration to be one of the few Final Fantasy games that were translated in full by fans. Yeah, though a few years later, in '99, it was released on PlayStation in the comp- compilation called Final Fantasy Anthology in North America, which included Final Fantasy V as well as uh, Final Fantasy VI. Uh, but that is not the best way of playing that game. No, the anthology is not that well put together. Yeah, but uh, you can play the game on Game Boy Advance, Final Fantasy V for Game Boy Advance, uh, similar to Final Fantasy IV, some bonus content, nicer looking, better. Don't touch the Android version with a 10-foot pole. Anyway, well, the song we're going to be doing with this one is Final Fantasy Clash on the Big Bridge, which takes place during the boss battle of Gilgamesh. Um, it's this, a... so plays, this song plays in a ton of modern Final Fantasies. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty damn key, and... It's surprising that it came from one of the few one of the games that got sort of skipped over, unnoticed. Yeah, definitely one of the least popular Final Fantasies. I mean, you get a lot of love for Final Fantasy um, Final Fantasy Four. You get some a lot for six, a lot yeah. for seven, but not a lot for five. No, it's but it's not that bad a game. It's a great game, in my opinion. <laughs>
Now let's get on to the big gun. That is Final Fantasy VI. Final Fantasy VI was released in April 2nd, 1994, and October 20th, 1994. First in Japan, second in the United States. So this is the first time they've actually had time to stop and think about how they want to make this game. Exactly. Like, we're, we're, we're talking they had a whole two years to put this game out. They, instead of... Um, rushing, rushing, rushing their way through every single sequel. And it really does show. Yeah. The game is really, really big. So it, it only took them one year to develop it. I presume they had that extra year to plan the game, which they'd never done before. By this time, they had multiple teams. Like, they, or at least they could pull I mean, off they were, parts. They of... were working in between this, I believe they also released, or rather right after this, they also released Chrono Trigger. Yes. They had um, Live Alive. They had various RPGs they were doing in addition to this. Um, uh, oh, oh, gosh, what's that game called? The one with the dragons. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, they, they, they were releasing so many RPGs, we can't even keep track of them at this point. Yeah, and Square has turned into a pretty big business. It's managing to rival against Enix. It's having a pretty... It's starting to expand its enterprise. And... Because of that, we're starting to see them having be, being able to stretch their legs a bit and say, okay, we're going to take the time to put some more resources and um, dedication to this game as opposed to trying to um, pump out as one as fast as humanly possible. Right. So, But as such, uh, series creator and director Sakaguchi could not be intimately involved in the game uh, because of he, him being basically the rubber stamp on billions of projects, including Chrono Trigger, which was their big uh, crossover with Enix. Uh, in addition to his promotion as executive vice president in, of the company in 91. So uh, he gave director responsibilities for script writer and split them up between script writer of Final Fantasy V, Yoshinori Kitase, and designer of Final Fantasy V, Hiroyuki Ito. And the two of these people seem to have never spoken in their lives. Yeah, because uh, well, Kitase was involved in the event production and the stereo, and Ito did all the battle aspects, and they kind of didn't cross over. No, I mean, I'm sure they've spoken, of course. That yeah. was an exaggeration, but yeah. they did not. There is no show that these two things had anything to do with each other in the game. No, it's it's a great it's a great mechanical system, and it's an interesting story. But they never seem to mesh in no, any way. No, no. It's just, it feels, <laughs> in some ways, it feels like they're, both of them had an idealized game in mind, but neither of them... Um, neither of them kind of brought it up to the other yeah. one and said, hey, what if we do this thing? Though it really does show that, I mean, Final Fantasy's efficiency seemed to have been them splitting up stuff like this. Exactly. They never really thought to put these two things, you know, put one, you know, put the carriage in front of the horse, except for Final Fantasy 2 when they made the entire story before the game. Which was a mistake. They, they, they saw how that worked out for them. One They'd th already locked Kawazu in the romancing saga <laughs> toilet. Uh, you know what? That was a good thing. It's too bad they, they let him out of his cage eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. Um, so, Sakaguchi uh, supervised a lot of Katasi's cutscene direction, ensured the project would coalesce as a whole. Um, he didn't do that great a job of it, as we just said, but the idea between, behind the story of Final Fantasy VII was that every character was the protagonist. Um, all developed members of a development team contributed ideas for these characters and kind of developed the story in terms of episodes at, in what Kitase would describe as a hybrid process. So, so we had a really big script writing team and one design, one tiny gameplay design team, which was Ito and like a cardboard cutout of, Sa of Sakaguchi <laughs> saying, good job. <laughs> Ganbare. Just a lot of uh, high-fiving against this cardboard box. Um, Terra and Locke were conceived by Sakaguchi. Celis uh, and Gao by... Um... <laughs> Such a weird combination. Celis is a, is a, is a like, religious-themed holy knight, and Gao is a feral child. <laughs> we're, which we're coming up by Takase. Um, Shadow and Setzer were by graphic director at this point, uh, Tetsuya Nomura. And Edgar and Sabin were by... Um, 
field graphic designer uh, Corey Tanaka. I did not know Shadow and Setzer were designed by Tetsuya Nomura until I saw these notes, but yeah. boy, can you tell. Oh, man. Pretty they're... boy and emo ninja. Oh, my God. And when you start to see the number of belts on him in the uh, in the Kingdom Hearts version. Oh, where, yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, clearly. This, this, this character fits in, and I'm surprised we didn't have him earlier. This is Nomura Jr. Yeah, exactly. Um... It was so, Kitase's job to bring together all these story elements and the premise provided by Sakaguchi with all of the character episodes to create a cohesive narrative, which is a pretty Herculean task. Oh, no. I mean, like, this was... It was written by, by at least four, four people, um, and... I mean, Katase provided key elements of a story like the opera scene and Celeste's suicide attempt, as well as all of Kefka's appearances. But, I mean, a lot of this stuff was being pulled from various different writers and having to kind of fall together in the same script. It reminds me kind of like television production, mm-hmm. where a showrunner kind of has to, it's their job to make sure they have a ton of writers, but it's their job to make sure that every script matches the tone of the show. And Kitase was kind of falling into this role. And when, when you look at it that way, they really were starting to push the story aspect of the game over the gameplay. It was he- We were already heading this direction. It was, really, it was also a really good thing that all four writers had recently watched Star Wars and really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It, it is very. They. It's like they. They read Joseph Campbell once and decided that. Yeah. Okay. Her hero's journey. We yeah, did that. Yeah. All right. Let's do tw- twenty four of them, yeah. and they're all going to be Star Wars themed. <sighs> it's always going to be us versus the Empire. Bigs and Wedge, Evil Empire. Empire wins. World destroyed. Come back to fight as the rebellion. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the um. Uh, in a 1995 interview with Superplay magazine, uh, translator um, Ted Woosley explained that um, when it came to the English translation, there's a certain level of playfulness and sexuality in Japanese games that just doesn't exist in the USA, basically because of Nintendo of America's rule of guidelines. And what he was getting to was that the localization had a lot of trouble. Yeah. In this part. There was a lot. Well, he did it in 30 days. What happened was that he kept getting um, revised versions of the script and translating them rapidly. Because these games came out really close to each other in Japan and in North America. So he was just kind of translating dialogue as it came to him and rewriting and revising. So he did this in a month right before the game came out. Um, though the restrictions are probably what the kind of the, the impetus for some of the game's really memorable lines. Like, I mean, Kefka is really famous for saying things like this will become your barbecue and son of a submariner. Which were originally I will like burn you alive and son of a bitch. Yeah, but it, they're they're great lines. They're <laughs> yeah. better than the original. They give him this really great, like weird clownish character, which fits him perfectly. And it. The, the interesting thing, though, about it was that it gave these... These games were already hard to take seriously in terms of their plot, and it fit in perfectly. Right. Like, But the problem was that even though Kitase was the jokes guy in Final Fantasy V, he took this game incredibly seriously. So, in, in some ways, Woosley ended up being the jokes guy on Final Fantasy VI. Right. Though he didn't... No, I mean, I don't think Kitase had anything to do with no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and because of that great translation, uh, you probably best bet for playing this is either digging up an original version of the SNES game or downloading it from the Wii Virtual Console, because any other version of the game is probably based on the Game Boy Advance version, which has, or the PlayStation version, which has a modified script, and it's just, it's not quite as charming. It's, it's a little more generic, and it kind of reveals that Kitase wasn't that great a writer. <laughs> like, there's only so many times you can take Star Wars, and back then they were still releasing new movies. Star Wars was still releasing new movies, so they, um, 
it was a lot. Cl- it looked way more generic yeah. when you get to that point. The so something like the Super Nintendo version or the Wii Virtual Console. That's that's probably going to be your best. It, bet. It's a direct version of translation. Um, but either way, you're playing this game. The game is still famous for its weird assortment of characters that all play incredibly differently. This kind of this was the the des- development team kind of. We've got ATB. We've got our thing that separates us from Dragon Quest. Let's do something crazy and make every single character play a different video game. Yeah. Like Sabin was doing Street Fighter combos and Setzer was playing slots while Terra was like managing transformation bars and Locke was just sort and Locke and Celis were just playing like Thief and Paladin. Realm was doing blue magic. There was just these weird combinations that they just like, we came up with an idea, throw it in there, we'll write an entire like two hour story about them. And a lot of this stuff gets carried over into Final Fantasy VII in the sense of like, um, while we don't, we kind of lose the job system and we lose a lot of um, aspects of Final Fantasy the stuff that made Final Fantasy VI really iconic, I mean, what. We, all the limit break stuff suddenly started to be really distinct. Between right, the they they were trying to identify characters by the moves they used and how they played in battle, rather than exclusively by the story. Which was a you know that's that's a noble feat. Final Fantasy yeah. Final Fantasy VII's problems we'll get to later. Yeah, but yeah. is is spoilers the problems? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's close out with one of the most popular song from Final Fantasy. Um, six, and that was Terra's theme. Um, we're gonna get you give you the orchestral version. Um, it's a really nice version of that song. And, and, uh, yeah, just That's going to be it for this episode. I'm producer Armand Igbali. And I'm features editor Daniel Rosen. The next episode of Bit of Play... Let me try that again. (laughs) And I'm features editor Daniel Rosen. In the next episode of Bit of Play, we will go through the rest of Final Fantasy's long and storied past from FF7 straight through Spirits Within. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's, We've got a long trip ahead of us, and that's going to be... Man, I'm looking forward to Spirits Within. I'm going to be much angrier in that one, trust me. Oh, God. Um, and it's perfectly timed, considering that Final Fantasy VIII just came out on the, on uh, the Steam. Steam Marketplace. Uh, you, too, can just play a man, of, man with a machine gun on a loop and get a better experience than playing that game. I disagree with you so hard. Anyway, let's get into, for an extended version of um, the interviews you, you 
didn't hear in this episode, but often hear in other episodes of Built to Play, you can check out our website, builttoplay.ca. And if you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes so we know how we're doing and more people can find the show. But don't leave a negative review or we'll summon a monster from another dimension and have it eat your soul and then change your job class. We're usually on the air at the Scope at Ryerson every Saturday at 1 p.m. and rerun every Monday and Tuesday at 6 p.m. And you can we update the site every Sunday. You can find us on Twitter at built to play and me personally at Clarkon. And I'm Daniel underscore Rosen on Twitter. And uh, I hate blue magic. Thanks for listening.